This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Hello, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, I'm here to tell a story. The reason why we live in a country is many people think that we live in the country we come to the U.S. just for the money. But the truth is not. The truth is that we run away for the violence, we run for family problems, problems that will happen in our country. Well, today I'm going to tell you about my story, why I come, why I leave my country, and how to separate about friends, uncles, and family from my country. Well, I come from six, like six family. Like 2001, my family's end. My mom, she died one year after my grandfather died. Like one years after my grandmother died, and then just I stayed with my father and sister and brother. But then later my sister she married. I just stayed with my brother and my brother she comes to the U.S. He had the same problem like we have a problem there. So I just stayed with myself. Then my dad he married the second woman. We don't have a good relationship with. Him. So all the time I just fighting with my dad, having problem with my dad. Going the street, drinking alcohol. As my age was young, I didn't think about that. It's a hard life. And then I just decided to come to the U.S. I didn't thought about study. I just come here to study. I just come here to work and make some money and go back to my country. But then I just realized that I have a future. I have something. I can be somebody in my life and achieve many goals. And then, like when I come. This wasn't easy. I had to pay money. I had to pay like 45,000 quetzales, which is like about $600. But then I didn't pass the border. I got caught by immigration. I got sent to a government shelter in Arizona. I was there for eight months. From there, I learned Spanish. When I came right here, I didn't speak Spanish well. My first language was Quiche, which is from my country. And it's not easy to learn Spanish, like people making fun, people they think that some of them guy. Just because Guatemala, their own language is Spanish, but in Guatemala they have like 36 more dialects, which is my speech. I'm so happy to have more than one language. And now I feel that I can success because now I'm a high school, I'm a senior. Before, when I was in Guatemala, I just dropped out when I was like my fourth grade. I didn't think about school, and my dad, he always told me that I'm a dumb guy. I'll never achieve something in my life. And all I know is, well, just be a dumb guy in the street like always. But now I realize that it's not true. I realize that I can be somebody else in my life and follow a dream. We come right here for for, for different things. Everybody will have different story. It's hard to, to explain, but, but the truth is like, we're still working on today. People that are still thinking about that immigrants, they are just came to take the wealth of the US, but it's not true. We're here to, to have a better life and do a better life to our children in the future. And I'm so happy to be part of this this event. This is one thing that 
out like my family or the people who told me before I'm dumb or the choice not. The things that I'm doing well, I'm doing good in my school. I'm working hard to achieve my dream. I'll make it true. One day I would like to come I would like to become a graphic designer or a film video production. And now I'm applying for college. I'm an honorer in my school. I was selected by the honor society in my school of my good behavior, of my good grades. I'm doing so good. And I'm happy to say that I'm a strong student, a strong guy who will be an example of my family in the future. Thank you so much. Schedule for uh, questions and answers uh, from the audience. So uh, open up the floor. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about your experience crossing the border and getting caught and living at the shelter? <coughs> yes, well, when I was crossing the border, I was 15 days in the desert. 15 days, 8 days without food, just water only, drinking dirty water. I just realized that I'm going to die. I said, this is the end of my life, but then I just walk hard, do my best. Then later I just, I get, I get caught by the immigration in Arizona in a house. It was like 150 people in one house. People there were so exciting that we crossed the border already. And we are in Arizona, and we, we'll, we will be soon with our family. But then one of our one of the house neighbor called the immigration and police. And then I felt that at the end of my life, I just, I just want to go back to my country. Because I was dying with hungry, I don't have any food. But then I just get sent to the immigration shelter. And I didn't feel like something that's not good. I just felt just like somebody sent an angel to save me and be in the good hands of people who take care of me there. Yes. Do you have any kind of legal status? Yes. Um, well, like. How did you acquire it? You have it. Well, like I have a green card now. Uh, my story. I don't have, but Guatemala. I can't go back to my country. My father he don't like me there. My father he wants me out of his house. So the status is that like um, I don't know how it's called this. Yeah, that's the one. So I, they give me the chance to be here with, with the foster family. I'm gonna live with the foster family. I'm so excited to have my green card. Uh, maybe soon I'll become a citizen of the US. I'm so happy to it. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit, you hear a lot about the journey uh, crossing the US border. I'm wondering about from Guatemala crossing into Mexico and traveling through Mexico. How that was for you? Well, I believe the border between Guatemala and Mexico is not so hard. I just walk like two hours or three hours in the mountain. I just cross by car and then the bus, crossing or Mexico on the bus. 
the hard parts as well as in the border, the U.S. and <coughs> Mexico. I believe the life of Guatemala now is hard. And my education is hard because what, uh, the government of Guatemala didn't have the same, didn't take care of the students as they do in the US. Guatemala, like their education, if you go late in school, all they do is you, they punish you by doing something like cleaning the bathroom or they hurt you with the ruler. But that's something that shouldn't happen because every student, they get hurt by the teacher and then they, they don't want to go to school anymore. They don't want to, be, to get hurt and punished for something they don't want to do, like cleaning the bathroom, doing something. That's something should be an employer. They should do it. That's one of the reason I dropped out of high school, because my dad, he sent me every day late on school. I have to work in the morning, and come after school, I have to work. I, so I always be late in my school, and then I get hurt by my teacher. I get punished for something that's I can't, I, have, I don't have control of it. My dad, he have the control. So I believe the government should, should make the school better than something like the US. Yes. Um, how does life in Guatemala compare to life here in the US? Well, the life in US and Guatemala, uh, Guatemala, the government don't take care of that. Don't care about how 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 old are you to start working. You can start working at the age you want. For your parents, they send you to work. But in the U.S., the the government requires you have to be eight, 16 or 18 to work to be able to work. And they want you to go to school. They make sure that you go to school. Otherwise, you get in trouble. But in Guatemala, they don't care about nothing. You can start working at any age. You can start doing things at any age. But U.S. They have a required, they have required age to do things that is right for the future and the people's health. Yes. So it's so admirable all the things that you've accomplished in the United States in such a short period of time. So I really want to commend you for all that. And I just wonder what are what were the biggest challenges for you as you started your new life here in the United States in terms of integrating and Well, I believe my biggest challenge is to learn the English. It's not it's not easy for me. Every time when I want, I live with a foster mom who don't speak my language, which is just only English. I don't speak any English in that time. So all that time I have a, like a bunch of paper with me translated in Spanish and English. So every time when I talk with somebody, I talk with my mom, I have to go with my paper and look every word and put it together and then show my mom. And then she teach me, she teach me how to how to read and how to write. Then I believe that's the biggest challenge I have achieved now. Yes. yes. Can 
you say again? No, I've been interested in graphic design. Design. No, not science. No, I just decided to become a graphic designer here in, in the U.S. Guatemala, I don't have the chance to do it. I, I put it like um, design, it's like something as I like. As if I could design my life, if I could design my future, I'll design my way. But life cannot design, life cannot be what you want. So things you have to do, like what does the future say? So that's why I'm mean, interested in designs, do things right. Make design to design is just a love for me, so I can express my expression there, work with it. Yes. Did you find that it was helpful to learn to read and write in Spanish at the same time that you're learning English, or did you mostly just learn English once you got to the United States? Well. I learned Spanish when I was in Arizona in the shelter of the government for eight months. There was a, a lot of immigrants there. There was like many people who get caught by immigration. That's where I learned Spanish. Then when I came to the uh, Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, I just started learning English. Yes. Well, my life now in Guatemala, I believe, is like um, working on the farm, like always, working on the construction, or just working. I don't have an education like I do now. I'll just, I may still like my life as a drunk, because I was there, I was drinking, and I believe now life is different for me. Life is it's just something that I love now, and the students, which is, I'll graduate this June, and. I believe my life is better than should be what I'm at now. Yes. Sorry. Um, so I just I'm curious, uh, what part of Guatemala you're from, and also, did your parents, did your family tell you much about the uh, the civil war, the with the guerrilla? Well, um, I live part of Quiche. It's a town it's called uh, Patacha, but. They didn't tell me nothing about the war, what, what happened there, nothing. I know a little bit about the Maya war or something, but not about the world war or the civil war, nothing about that. I would like to ask you a question. I'm gonna plead ignorance about this immigration, you know, and I'm wondering, uh, are there laws in the books in the United States to kind of protect these people? Uh, and, and if so, what protections do they have at this, at this time? Or are there no laws in the book to protect them? What, what's the general... Well, I think that's the rest of the day. So later on today you'll hear that there are um, limited, very limited rules on the book. So the um, benefit that Marcelo was able to take advantage of is a special immigrant juvenile visa. So 
that's available to, to children who have suffered from neglect, abandonment, or abuse by their parents. And so he was able to show successfully, and I, I'm just saying this based on what he said today, so I didn't represent him. I don't know that much about his case. But it sounds like uh, your, you said your mother had died and you were living with your father, and your father basically like, neglected you, right? He That's told right. you he was, he was abusive or neglectful. And so based on that, Marcelo was successful in making a claim. Now that's, he was probably successful in a Philadelphia court. Yes, that's right. right. Yep. <laughs> it would be very different if he were living in Chester County. Because in Chester County, it's very hard. Because what these adjudications are take place in the family court. And so initially, you have to get a family court judge to declare that he has been neglected, abandoned, or abused by a parent. And it's really hard to get that in the Chester County Family Court. In Philadelphia, it's much easier. So even though someone might squarely fall within the text of the law, you, there's also a lot of arbitrariness in terms of where the cases are adjudicated and how, you know, what judges before. So that's one, er that's one benefit of really, the basis for really, and we'll hear a lot more about that, as Michael said later on. The other thing that some of the unaccompanied minors have been eligible for is asylum protection. <coughs> but with asylum protection, you need to show that you've been uh, persecuted or that you fear future persecution on account of one of five grounds, your race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group or political opinion. So there have been some recent victories with respect to some um, adjudications where people who've been, uh, let's say, uh, one, one set of cases is people who've been victims of domestic violence. A lot of the kids who are fleeing from Central America right now have been victims of domestic violence or other kinds of sexual violence. So though that category of people, if they're successful in adjudicating their case, are able to establish protection under that. Um, we recently heard about a case in Connecticut where um, people were attacked and like, recruited into the gang, and then they stood up and went to the government and asked the government for protection, asked the police for protection, and the police weren't able to protect them. In that case, the, the, the applicant was able to get asylum relief. But the laws are very limited. It's really challenging. Most, law, most cases that are successful, it's because you have a really creative lawyer, and you have a lot of free pro bono work you know, supporting you. Most people don't have a lawyer. <laughs> so they appear on their own. They have no idea what's relevant about the facts of their case. And, um, and it's, you know, for them, it's like nearly impossible for them to get over the system and get some protection. But like Michael said, we'll hear a lot more about that later today. But it's a good way to kind of frame what you'll be hearing this morning as well. I just wonder, you know, Daniel Moynihan coined a phrase years ago, benign neglect, when he applied it to the poor. Maybe that's the, the, uh, the United States, the way they're able to stay here is through the benign neglect of the country, of the government and the, the laws. I mean, otherwise, these people can be just ushered right out, right? They don't have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is a way of looking at it. The other thing to note is just that the immigration system right now, the adjudicatory system, is so overburdened that part of the neglect is like a neglect in kind of 
giving the resources to adjudicate properly. So there, we just heard a report earlier this week that there are 425, 425,000 cases before the immigration courts. And that's, you know, just backlogging the whole system. And there's just as many before the asylum office. So. All right, well, we've come to the end of the first session. Marcelo, congratulations on your remarkable achievements. You have started this conference off so well by putting a human and inspiring face on this problem. Uh, thank you. Good.